Welcome to the Legendarium. It was competently made. Remember, you told <laughs> us that's how his children look for love, and they're like, right. "Father, was I competent Father, today? Was I competent?" <laughs> I'll say, and I'll say, "Well, you were competently made." <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast, episode number, I can't remember, 130-something. It's Crown of Swords, part two, Wheel of Time, book seven, and I am Craig Hanks, your host, and with me over there, well, his vocabulary is reminiscent of Groot's, and his looks fit right in with Rocket. It's Ken Johnson. Whatever, you can just Groot in the Groot with your Groot Groot. Okay. Yes. Look out, ladies. He's somehow... Not single. It's Kyle Lemon. Well, I mean, if my wife sees me in these America shorts, I might be. So. <laughs> those are amazing. Are those swim trunks? Be honest. No, they're uh, sweat shorts. Sweat shorts yeah. in the shape of the American flag yeah. or the design. Whatever. I mean, America. America. And I promise nobody would ever do it with him in an igloo. It's Ryan Bruckman. <laughs> I see sweet chillin' loving. <laughs> it's just not worth it. You're, you're just not worth it. Yeah, you just your cheeks to get frozen to the floor or something like that. Not. <laughs> oh gosh! Uh, so anyway, it's a continuation of our discussion of so much, so much cold in oh, so God. many areas. Well, it was going to be a continuation of our discussion of Crown of Swords, but then I took it too far. Uh, all right, so Crown of Swords Part Two. There's a lot that we talked about in Part One, and a lot that we haven't talked about. I thought maybe we would take this opportunity to talk about the things that we didn't talk about in part one. Do you guys feel like that's a good plan for part two? Yes, I agree with Craig. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. All right. So first things first, I would like to get to our voicemail. So uh, I will just like once again plug the voicemail feature. Go to thelegendariumpodcast.com and leave a voicemail there. If you need instructions, you can email us, but uh, it should be pretty self-explanatory, and anybody can leave a voicemail from their phone or webcam. It just uses the mic on that to send it to us. So today's voicemail comes from Seth, and I will let him take it away. Hi, this is Seth from Portland. I'd like to hear you guys discuss the Wanderer in Shadar Logoth and his meeting with Rand. Um, I'm curious to hear what you think about the crossing of the Balefire streams. What do you think happens when the true power, Balefire, touches the one power, Balefire? How does the pattern resolve that paradox? Okay, so first of all, I don't know, should we just get the dirty jokes out of the way now <laughs> about crossing streams, or you know, do we want to go on a Ghostbusters riff, which itself is probably just a joke, I would a dirty a joke. Ghostbusters riff. Um, We're all adults, we can handle this. Sure. <laughs> yes, that much is apparent. Because our track record really shows <laughs> it is we can handle this. We can Taint handle what? This. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a couple of things to unpack here. Uh, and the first is the Wanderer. Now, there's so it took me a second to figure out what he was talking about uh, but then I realized yeah Rand gets helped out by an unnamed person in Shadar Logoth but apparently this person later gets a name the Wanderer uh, I don't remember him ever being named or or yeah, much I think talked referred about to in that in that Rand kind of refers to him as the Wanderer Does as he? he's thinking through that scene when he's okay. helping him out okay yeah, that's. I suppose that would be easier for me. Easy for me to forget. Yeah. Uh, so there's that guy. I'm not sure who he is, but let's talk about him, and then we'll talk about crossing streams um, in a moment. But who is this guy? Is it, I, I'll tell you what I think, and you guys can tell me if I'm nuts. I think he's Moradin. Um. I. I because he is using the true source. True source. Am I true right? Power. <clears throat> Sorry, true power. This is so confusing, you guys. Yeah, this is power crazy. comes from a source. The okay. One power comes from the 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 one source. The one. The no, true source. <laughs> the true, true source. source. The true power comes from the dark one. Okay, so this guy is using the true power to create Balefire, and he does it very casually, and that makes me think, based on the earlier conversation or the earlier uh, encounter that Mogidian has with him that this must be Moradin who now owns her soul basically and he 
she has the what are the, the what do you call them the saw the the, the black the saw, flecks yeah. that go across his eyes indicating mm-hmm. that he has drawn many much mucho mm-hmm. from the the what the true power the true, the true power. power the dark one himself essentially the, yeah he reached in stroked that taint and just pulled as much as he could um, um it's interesting though because there's another scene where we see they don't refer to him as the wanderer but he's referred to as the watcher and it's it's right after um is it Samael and Grandal? They leave Savannah's camp after they. they oh, gave there's her the somebody whole watching little, them. Yeah, the little traveling boxes or whatever. Right. Oh yeah. Um, and there's somebody watching them, and so there's the Watcher and the Wanderer, and is that the I'm same? I'm pretty guy? sure they're the same guy. I mean, and and that's got to be Moradin, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're hitting it on the head with the fact that he's using the true power. The only instance that we actually see the true power being used was earlier with Moradin. And Mogedian. Right. Um, was there any other mention? I, I think somebody, maybe Ryan, a book or two ago, brought up, like, oh, I'm excited to talk about the true power versus the true source. And, uh, it, but was this our first encounter with it, book seven? No. 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 What, what it's else? Never, we've, it's never actually stated what it is, yeah. but it's been used before. Okay. So to avoid any spoilers or anything like that, we haven't really talked about it, but it's used as early as the prologue of The Eye of the World. wow Uh, okay all right well the other thing then to talk about is um crossing balefire streams and how it kind of like it it, the way that he wrote it made me kind of picture in movies it usually happens in a comedy when somebody is standing inside a bell a big bell and somebody rings the bell and it kind of like shakes them images and and like it it messes with their head a little bit, right? Kind of mm-hmm. causes these crazy one power vibrations or whatever. So I don't know what's happening there. I don't want to ask Kyle because he does, but maybe I'll ask Ken. What's going on with crossing streams got, and why is Bill Murray so af- uh, afraid to do it? Dude, I it would be bad. <laughs> I mean, which, which we're all that. fuzzy on the whole good bad thing, but I honestly the, it. This is gonna, you know, be my punching mentality. I'm sure it, it kind of lost me. I mean, I, I got the the whole mirror images, and this is why this is why time stuff is just is murky and and tricky to deal with. Because is it, that what was going on? It was like time vibrations. Well, that's what vi- that's I what, don't know that's what Balefire does. Is it eliminates, you know, depending on how much Balefire you use, it eliminates that time. Yeah, it al- you know, it, it alters the fabric of the it, pattern itself. Right. So, so now I wouldn't you've necessarily got two say time, but I would say reality. So you've got two two streams altering the fabric of reality and it just makes you go uh, so i it, it kind of reminded me of adium from the mistborn ser- series where you see like for a split second you see what's going to happen so i thought the wanderers hoid we're just going to cross books mm-hmm. okay <laughs> i it's, it's seriously that's how i i didn't have well, really yeah. a coherent we've answer seen, it's just yeah. it kind of lost seen me a little bit similar things before in the book when they go through the portal stones and they live different lives right um different reality yeah flicker 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 and you have all those different realities or whatever and it was very similar in this reaction when the when the bell fire streams actually cross and then you get that kind of like you said that reverberation effect um but yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't mix it up with time as much as I would mix it up with reality. I think that's a good term for it. Reverberations in the pattern, maybe. <sighs> well, I don't know because, and this is going to uh, another part of the book, but Balefire is also used when Mogidian tries to kill Nynaeve mm-hmm. and uh, splits the boat in half and the boat is, is uh, sinking or sunk really. And Ken, this is, I often get frustrated with you when you're like, I hate time travel because I'm a grumpy old man with a <laughs> stupid beard and blah, blah, blah. Hey, it's the playoffs. Um, I like your beard. It's the playoffs. But um, no, it, it, in this case, Balefire really does create some some time travel like plot hole problems. I know it's kind of inevitable, but I felt like, okay, so if the fire, Mogidian shoots the ship, and it uh, burns into an oarsman or several mm-hmm. oarsmen, I don't know, and it kills him or them. And so the boat couldn't get that far upstream, and so it's actually 50 yards back. Um, w- so the boat would indeed have been farther back upriver, but if that's the case, then that means that the bale fire wouldn't have hit the oarsman in the first place, 
uh, and thus couldn't have killed him. And it just kind of creates this problem where now, uh, not every time, but sometimes when Balefire gets used and he describes the consequences of it, I just kind of roll my eyes and be like, this doesn't see, make any see, sense yeah. time I, I think that instance is actually a pretty good, pretty good uh, illustration of where it can make sense. Because when she hits the boat with the Balefire, she is now basically said that this, you know, she's burned that thread in the pattern back uh, 50 yards, essentially. Who knows right. how long it took them to travel 50 yards. But now the reality of that boat is that at that point in time, it had a hole in it and it would have sunk. Um, it's so I, I get what you're saying. Like, well, but then it would have never gotten there. That the idea of her using Balefire is no longer the reality. She has changed the reality before that to the point where the boat had a hole in it and it is sunk now. I think so, that's that's the key element is that we're yeah. trying to tie it into time and it's not. It's, it's not time, it's reality. It's saying this. It, it, it's not where the boat was five minutes ago. It's it's saying this is what's been changed because of this. Uh, so yeah, I, I mm-hmm. totally am on board with that. Um, as for the crossing of the streams, um, I had a couple of thoughts on that. The first one being that one source is the power of creation. One is the power is the dark one's power, which is a very destructive power whatever um it's possible they could cancel each other out um just be a kind of a zero sum setup they both hit each other and the powers just dissipate a little bit nothing really happens there Mm -hmm. um but i have this i'm more inclined to say that if they like if those two streams were to connect i think i I told you this earlier what happens if you, you if both were hit by the other stream you get what i'm saying there yeah like you've effectively altered each other's reality by doing that. Right. And so by changing that, you've sort of done some really messed up things with your thread in the pattern. So you, I don't know, I don't know how to describe this. Like you've essentially opened yourself up to have something happen between the person that, and you and the person who bail fired. You. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. So bail fire is, I was so excited about it for the first few books. And now I'm really kind of cooling on the concept partly because this is the most, uh, yeah, let's see, how do I put it? A lot of the magic in the wheel of time is very Tolkienian where there are, it's a soft magic system. There aren't a lot of rules. These Aes Sedai or the Ashaman can do whatever they want with it, whatever he needs for them to be able to do. Balefire is the only one so far off the top of my head, the only bit of magic in the books that has a really, uh, supposedly really defined rules system that goes along with it and the consequences and all that stuff. Uh, But even it is, in my mind, it's kind of poorly defined up to this point, at least. We don't understand how it works and we and he's used it enough now where I figure I should have a better handle on what this thing is and what it's doing, but I'm having a rough time uh, understanding it. Well, yeah. I think, and I think that's actually intentional um, to a certain extent, simply because you look at the way that Cat Swain reacts to Balefire or right. any of these other people that react to Balefire, and they're very. This is what led to the breaking of the world. Like you know, this is this is a very destructive force. So we don't use it. That's like why it's a forbidden thing. We don't use it because we don't understand it enough to use it properly. Um, that being said, you know, it's it's had its time and its place and its usefulness there. Um, I'm okay if it's used a little bit less. I'm actually very interested to see um, if there's something that can be done to counteract Balefire. Like right now, oh, it's kind of one of those. Oh, you mentioned you Quindiar maybe, like well, Quindiar shields or something. Like, well, that's things like Quindiar, even Quindiar, or no, I think it's the one thing like that even Balefire couldn't touch or something. I don't remember. Yeah, maybe. but there's got to be at some point there's got to be something that counteracts it. Otherwise, the last battle is just going to be all the Ashaman and everyone running around just going, Balefire, 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 and they'll break the world again. And to that point, at some point, because like for us as readers, and I think this is similar for like Rand's point of view, is, well, he's been using Balefire, and yeah, he sees kind of the, the consequences of that is obviously you burn a thread back in the pattern for so long. But nothing really catastrophic has happened yet from him using Balefire. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like his go-to, like, one-off 
um, when he needs something that he you know he can't do anything else, he's gonna bail fire. You know that's like his go-to weapon um, in an emergency. But nothing has happened yet to shake him into really kind of believing and being on that same side with Cad Swain or anybody else that reacts to Bellfire that way because he hasn't experienced it yet. Um, you, you, use, you keep using the operative word there, and that's yet. So I'm, I'm interested to mm-hmm. see. You know, there's got to be a time coming up that there's going to be an implication. Yeah, or, use, or he'll just continue to use it, and then, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, well, like Ryan said, I mean, it'll be get a whole bunch of them using Balefire, and all mm-hmm. of a sudden the world's broken again. Well, because like it's like when we were talking about Alana when she bonded him, and we were like, well, my reaction would be to Balefire and get rid of it. And then everybody's like, oh, you can't bail. You know, it's like, well, for me, so far, I haven't seen any real negative effects. Pretty much all of these Balefire effects have been positive for Team Lightside because we've resurrected a few of our main characters using Balefire and, right, right. you know, that kind of stuff. So... It seems pretty handy if you're looking at it from that angle, and uh, supposedly you're not supposed to use it at all. So, if you could control, I don't feel like Rand has control of how far back he burns something, or uh, like mm-hmm. if you could like set the, you could set the different timer. levels. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna burn. I burn this you back. two seconds back. Set it back to 1955, and we'll go. You know, save. <laughs> Uh, Hill Valley. Yeah, Hill Valley. You're going to see some serious <laughs> stuff. I I would be interested to see if maybe they could control that because it, you're right. For the most part, like burning a dark hound or something out of the pattern for you know two minutes or whatever mm-hmm. isn't going to change the course of the world on a huge mm-hmm. scale. But I mean, if but, you were to bail fire a forsaken far enough back, you know that could have some serious ramifications on you know what a their rule over mm-hmm. a land might have been and like the other thing to to consider as well is if Rand gets really comfortable with using it and and doesn't kind of rein himself in, he has access to the coding call, and it's mentioned in this book that he you know he's hidden those two statues away where he can access right. the most powerful sign yeah. Grail ever created, and if he thinks that he can just go bail fire willy nilly, you know, then he's gonna have the most powerful power ever mm-hmm. and that is where i think you can run into issues with like unraveling the fabric of reality and and all of that so yeah but uh, i i w- i'm curious the question about true fu- true power balefire versus one power balefire if the que- if the person asking the question is saying that there's a difference between using balefire with the true power versus using balefire with the one power my thought would be that there's not really a difference. I think that it's just they're both just balefire, and that's just how they've created it. it. It'd be like using like an iPhone battery versus like a double A battery. Like I'm creating light on my phone versus creating light in a flashlight. The you know I mean it's the same thing, um, just a different source. That's my thought, but there could be a difference. I don't know because you're you're coming from you know different sources for the dark one versus the one power which essentially the one power right now has to go through the dark one because it's tainted so i don't know maybe it's synthetic well there's i i kind of take the comparison you've made there if you look at the one power then this uh, the separation between sidene and sidar um like traveling they're both they're achieved the same end is achieved by two different methods and mm-hmm. balefire is kind of the end result of it so mm-hmm. i did, i i can buy along the lines of that where the source doesn't matter mm-hmm. it's the end result is the same yeah and i and i'm definitely with with, with what ryan said is you know with the balefire streams actually connecting now what does that mean for the reality of those two threads in the pattern rand and this wanderer or Moradin, as you know, Craig has, has said. So, what does that mean? Are they connected? Are they? What's going to happen? Well, I didn't see any spirits come out of one of them, so you know, <laughs> he's never in one place. Is one of them a Horcrux now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's you know, always just throw that. It's kind of like uh, like the One Ring or something. You know, just there are elements that you can throw into any book to make them better, and Horcruxes are one of them. Um, <clears throat> guys ready for another question because we just did like 15 minutes on that voicemail it was a great voicemail it was it was, it was a great question but now all i'm thinking in my head is singing the wanderer you know so <laughs> um so, and now it's going through my can you're in welcome. my head can you're Gosh, welcome uh okay so, that's because you're the kind of guy who likes to never mind run around i can't know yeah. i don't know what that song is off the top of my head so. really 
I'm really? Wandering. They call me the wanderer. We gotta play. We gotta play that right now. Uh, okay. Okay. Anyway. So anyway, moving on. Uh, moving on. You remember our our old pal AU? AU. Yeah. AU. He's he has sent in a lot From of Australia. voicemails. Uh, in, he wrote in on Reddit and uh, said stares in fury at broken phone and then submits this question, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which was so so. My question for Crown of Swords um, is. Now that the events of A Crown of Swords have occurred, who is your new least favorite character and why is it Cad Swain? <laughs> Thank you, AU, because that is right on the, right on the nose. Uh, why is it Cad Swain? Well, look, this is not something I, I try to say often, but she is a bitch. That woman <laughs> yeah. is awful, awful. Um, and it, you know, kind of, it kind of reminds me of, uh, of early Elida where I get, or I guess Elida now, like I get that you're not a dark friend. I get that you're trying to do what you think is right, but stop being such a jerk about it. Come yeah. on. Um, it, it, she kind of reminds me a little bit uh, what her purpose is or her perceived purpose in this story reminds me of reading um tindwill from miss oh, yeah. uh, she comes in and she's like I, i'm gonna take it upon myself to teach this young man how to be a king uh and but but it worked a lot better so far but so far it, it worked a lot better in Mistborn than here i just hate i have her. a comment i, her so I have much. a comment on that because i read the wheel of time completely before i ever yeah. touched Mistborn. And when Tindwill shows up in Mistborn, Echoes of Cad's I was like, this is something that Sanderson has has taken from Jordan. Right. And not not necessarily that they're the same character and like I think that Sanderson has done his own thing. Right. But this is definitely something that he has taken um from okay. from working with this right. book the and created Tindwill. And it's like, okay, they're pretty much the same type of in character. purpose mm -hmm. yeah in purpose yeah. um yeah so i hate her and i'd like for her to die please i so what about you guys i went from <laughs> hating her to not liking her when she, when she first showed up okay follow me here have you ever seen ratatouille no but yes. i'm familiar with the concept you know the, the, that that uh, critic that shows up at the end and he's smug and he's he knows everything and everybody will bow to my will because i'm just so much above you that's exactly what she reminded me of in this is it, she shows so up wait, wait, and wait. everyone just listened to me that's funny okay. mm -hmm. so to understand a character in the wheel of time you went to ratatouille yeah i went to a disney movie yes okay. i did i'm a grown man <laughs> the thing but it, it's that's that's the way she shows up with this attitude of you will all just know who i am and you will know that i'm better than everybody else and you will listen to me because my way is the way to do it and you just go you are a smug insufferable jerk and i hate you and but 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 then you see what she's doing and you're like okay i don't hate you quite as much to play devil's advocate a little bit because i i really have a hard time with cad swain but she has earned her reputation. She's not just a. She's not just this overconfident. Or like the when they talk about her, the other Aes Sedai are very, they're very, very deferential to her and reverential yes. to her because she's like the Indiana Jones of Aes Sedai. She's <laughs> gone everywhere, grabbed everything, seen everything, done things like that's. She's, she's a wanderer. <laughs> yeah. She's done all those things, and so she she has the resume to back up what she's saying, what she's doing, and I think. One of the most frustrating things about her is that her purpose and what she's trying to achieve and the way that she's going about it don't coexist well in my mind. Yes. Um, but it's it's kind of her mission uh, or what she perceives as her mission is very similar to the way that uh, uh, Moiraine she's, yeah. talked about what she was about, which was helping get Rand to the last battle and kind of coach him through what it means to be a ruler and, you know, do the political two-step and all that stuff. Um, but Moraine was, in my mind at least, you know, after one book at least, it was far more effective. Mm -hmm. yes. she, she knew Rand, she had traveled with Rand, and she knew kind of how his mind worked and mm -hmm. how best to... Uh, approach him and Cad Swain just comes in and like you say, Ken, it's my way or yeah. the 
Highway. I hate that phrase, you guys. I'm sorry. I just used um, it. It's just because yeah. you like Limp Biscuit. I need your guys' <laughs> help to. I need your guys' help timeline wise to find out if this is if something has occurred yet or not. Has Cad Swain spoken with the wise ones about Rand? No, I don't think Do you guys so. remember that. Spoiler okay. alert. Um, no, just kidding. <laughs> I thought I thought there was something about. Everybody that hate Ryan book. for spoiling things now. It was not me. There, there was, was a conversation <laughs> between Cad Swain and the wise ones. Oh I, no! It feels it feels like there was something later in the book, and that's that's where as soon as. As soon as it's established, because when she comes in, you're like, okay, this woman does not have good intentions. And then you realize, okay, she does have good intentions. She's just really gruff about the way, yeah, awful about the way she does it. It's like the new teacher, okay? We liked the old teacher, and now the new teacher is, you know, not fun. She's Mm -hmm. a school mom. She's like my fifth grade teacher whose name was, and I'm not making this up, Mrs. Rash. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My thoughts on Cad Swain are, I... Really disliked her the first time I read through it. Um, but from a writing perspective, she's very necessary. And this is something that Ryan brought up. Um, I don't know if on the cat on the podcast or before we before we started actually recording, but she is very necessary to what's going on with Rand right now. Rand yeah. does not have anybody to keep him in check. This is what we talked and, about last week. Yeah, and he last time. and he absolutely um needs that at this point because he doesn't trust any Aes Sedai, um, and he shouldn't. And that's going to be really interesting to see how he handles um, this relationship with Cad Swain. Yeah. But he definitely needs somebody who doesn't just, yes, my Lord Dragon, no, my Lord Dragon. You know what I mean? Like, just basically right. gives him what yeah. he wants or is afraid of him or whatever. He needs somebody to keep him in check. Yeah. The thing that I hate the most about Cad Swain is kind of like what I hate about Fail, And it's not necessarily her or what she's doing, but it's the way that Rand or Perrin with Fael reacts to her. Because in my thought is, why does Rand even put up with her in the first place? Right. He doesn't trust Aes Sedai. He doesn't, you know, the Aes Sedai that, are, that he allows in his company are the ones that have sworn fealty. So why doesn't he just say, get, get out. out of here? He takes his Ashaman and says, shield her, take her out. I never want to see her again. And he shouldn't put up with her in the first place. Um, and then, you know, she's really good at poking the bear. And so she knows exactly what to do to enrage him. And she even says, like, he's got a pretty short temper. And, like, this could be a problem. And she wants to teach him manners or whatever. So if I were Rand, I wouldn't put up with her at all. I would just get rid of her. Right. Um, I think- so that frustrates me because he's in the position of power and he allows her to come in and manipulate. So I, I put this one uh, on rant. If I may rebut though. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's not it's not that I don't think it's that he doesn't put her, you know, out on her butt um fast enough. It's that she comes in and she says the right things to make him do a double take and mm-hmm. go, Oh wait, okay, I'm listening. Like she walks mm-hmm. in and says, Are you hearing voices yet? Mm-hmm. What nobody knows that mm-hmm. until all of a sudden somebody knows it. And, mm-hmm. and and that was the moment where you're like, Oh wait, maybe she you know, maybe she does have some something I, here. I just have to pause for a moment so that we can all prepare for what I'm about to say. Good point, Ken. <laughs> no, that's, that should uh, be a Reddit flare. No, because uh, good, <laughs> there you point, go. Ken. That should be the Reddit flare right there. <laughs> no, because uh, when Kyle was talking, I'm like, yeah, totally. He should have mm-hmm. just sent her away. Why? Why didn't he just send her away? And then Ken came in and convinced me otherwise. Threw it down. Yeah, yeah nice excellent work. work. But yeah. So anyway, that. Uh, Mm-hmm. Going on with what you were saying, though, he, he needs someone like Cad Swain, especially mm-hmm. right now, because right now all he's got is men who keeps, you know, yeah. who kind of is who, a stabilizing Who force. tries to coach him, but she's still going to kind of let him do what he wants because, because she because loves him. Because she loves him, exactly. He needs somebody like Cad Swain because he's descending quickly now. Mm-hmm. I mean, Luce Theron, we haven't talked about Perrin at all. Maybe not book three quickly. In this, yeah, but he's he's descending fast. I mean, uh, bringing Perrin into it really quick because we haven't talked about him at all, his Few oh darn! That, did we not talk about Perrin I, at all? I like Perrin <laughs> a lot, but and I'll I'll say that one of the reasons I like him in this book series is because when he's in there at the very beginning, his his perspective of the voices in Rand's head are very interesting because he sees you know Rand is talking, and all of a sudden he stops like he's listening to somebody, and everybody's like, "Well, what's he listening to?" and there's there's a lot of turmoil in Rand's head, and he needs a stabilizing influence. And so 
Kazwain showing up at the right time is is good for Rand and for anybody who loves not the destruction of the world. <laughs> yeah, screw her. We all hate her. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Um, yeah, I I'll try to keep an open mind for future books, but for now, yes. I yeah, hate just her. Be, just because she's a necessary character doesn't mean that she's not insufferable and and terrible just like just like like a queen it's kind of well yeah we'll get to it it's kind (laughs) of like i was saying in the last episode with more the more gays chapters Mm -hmm. it's like yeah i get that there may be a payoff later and i may look back and say okay fine i'm glad that we had this storyline but for now i hate those chapters can we can we pause though and recognize that because it instills such strong emotions whether it's love or hate that Robert Jordan has done a fantastic job of writing all of these characters. Uh, yes. Yes, we should so, do that again. Because we do we do criticize quite a bit, and I think that some of our listeners are like, oh, but he's the greatest writer ever, and that's yet to be determined. However, so far he does he some does, things he really, does really, really, really very well, well in, yeah. in a yep. lot of these things. So. Granted. Because we can talk about things like that and make complaints and high points, like that's that's... A great sign of a of a good author there. Yep. Yes. Otherwise, we'd just be like, "Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was fine. all right. I liked Whatever. it. Whatever. It was. It's like going. Yeah, it was no, competently made. It's competent. So, yeah. Apparently, uh, Ken and Ryan don't know this, but uh, that's my catchphrase at work now, because <laughs> I came in. I think it was after Logan. I had just seen Logan. Yes. And people were so excited, and they came in. I, I came in from work, and they said, uh, "Oh, you saw Logan? How was it?" And I said, eh, "It was competently made." And they're like, that was the Craigest thing you've ever said. <laughs> Which, you know, in Craig speak, that was like, it was awesome. Because it was like, that's as much positivity as Craig shows at work as it was competently made. Remember you told us. <laughs> that's how his children look for love in there. Like, right. <laughs> Father, was I competent Father, today? Was I competent? <laughs> I'll say, and I'll say, well, you were competently made. <laughs> so anyway, uh, let's do another an Reddit igloo. question. <laughs> <laughs> Your mother might disagree, but... <laughs> Just because you were effective does not mean you were competent. Uh, Okay, another Reddit question. What do you make of the Wonder Girls attempt at negotiating with the Sea Folk? What do you think will be the implications of their deal? Uh, So, Kyle, will you sum up for us what was the deal that the Wonder Girls made with the Sea Folk? Um, And then we'll talk about that. Yeah, so basically, um, Nynaeve and Elaine have been on this whole quest to find the Bull of the Winds. Um, and the Sea Folk Windfinders are the strongest channelers with the weather. So they're going to need their help in order to use the Bull of the Winds to change the weather from the Dark One, making it basically a living hell right now. Um, so the idea behind the bargain was if you will allow, or if you will have the Windfinders help us use the Bull once we find the Bull to change the weather, we will have, I believe it's 10 Aes Sedai. That will be kind of like on your beck and call. You will always have 10 Aes Sedai with the Sea Folk that can train the Windfinders how to use the One Power in other forms other than just the weather. And the Aes Sedai will always have to have 10, and they cannot leave the Sea Folk until 10 more come to replace them. Or, you know, one leaves and one goes. However however it works out that way. Um, And I believe that that the Sea Folk also get to keep the Bull of the Winds after... The fact. I think that was part of yeah. it. Mm, um, it so that's kind of what's going on. And it, it, you know, we talked about this off air, but to Ryan's point, they kind of get the short end of the stick. The I said I do. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of, I guess, because you can say their immediate goal is to change the weather, so it's more important. But long term, it feels like they really kind of didn't do a great job bargaining for themselves. I'm not. I'm not sure because you could say. Okay, so the Windfinders or the Sea Folk have no intention of getting under the thumb of the Aes Sedai, and that's why they make they structure the deal the way that they did, and that's all fine. Um, oh, excuse me, but um, but what it does, it creates you know, it's kind of like a politically arranged marriage, mm-hmm. you know, from a, what, however many hundreds of years ago, or they probably still do that today, right? You have these politically arranged marriages where. Um, really all you're trying to do is get these two families talking or get them sealed together in some way that's advantageous. And it's kind of a similar thing. So now they may not be, uh, they may not be required to send young 
pre-wind finders to the tower like the Aes Sedai would have wanted them to. But breeze now, finders. Breeze finders. <laughs> <laughs> but now you've got uh, you've got a, a dialogue open between the two groups, right? And I yep. think that's really valuable. So short end, short end of the stick, maybe it could be perceived that way right mm-hmm. now. But if they play it right... Then you have which they won't because they're Aes Sedai. Which they won't because they're Aes Sedai, <laughs> and uh, and that's why the old Republic fell apart because they are Jedi. Yeah. No, but that's a great point, right? Yeah. Um. And so you know, stronger together, and this is they may not be under the thumb of the Aes Sedai, but they're shaking hands with mm. them or something. Mm, yes and no. Um. No, surprise, surprise. <laughs> Here we go. Simply because the way that the term the deal is set, it's not this open structure for teaching that that we think, and it's not opening up a conversation. They are pretty much servants of the wind of the the Athanmier. Like the these Aes Sedai aren't coming into open trade negotiations. Doing it. they are coming in to basically be told, teach us this, and then shut up. Like that's it. In time, it could become something different, but. This was a terrible, terrible deal. Yeah. This was bad on really? so many levels. Um, and it's really sad that someone like uh, Elaine, who's supposed to be preparing herself to be a queen, uh, really sucked it up when it came to negotiating this. And it could be, you know, a bit more because yeah, naive or something like that. But the fact is they should have been able to negotiate a little bit better. And they've... The, the, one of the things that frustrates me is they've tried to be Aes Sedai when they were doing this. Um and they're going to try and find loopholes in their promises mm-hmm. like, and find that wiggle room between the truth. I do like it as a character building thing, though, because it does show as much as Elaine and Nynaeve think that they know everything, that they think that they can do everything. Um, they're still very young and in, inexperienced. And so whether or not they're going to allow it to humble themselves is another thing. But from a reader's perspective, it's like, oh, that should be a humbling experience for them because when they go report back to... Um, to uh, kid president Egwene and tell them or tell her that like, Hey, we're going to have to send 10 sisters to the sea folk. And I don't think that she's going to be super stoked about that. So they will feel the Omerlin's anger, much like Elida foretold. Uh, all right. uh, well, let's move on then. It sounds like we've dried up that bit of conversation. Do you guys have some more stuff you want to bring up? We've, uh, Golem. Go- Golem. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so I, I almost feel like this is, you know, Ken's purview because it's punching. But oh, Ryan, why don't you kick on. us off? It's Here's why I'm, I'm not concerned about the punching um, aspect of it because, yes, it's incredibly scary and terrible. This guy can go underneath the door and go through a keyhole. He's just basically a Stretch Armstrong with murderous intent and... <laughs> The, so so he's, so he's Stretch Armstrong. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but what I'm really interested in is what it reveals about Matt's medallion. Oh, oh yeah. And because the nothing power, is answered about that, but it's the power doesn't work on the Golem either in mm-hmm. a very similar way to Matt's medallion, which he got from a snaky people, and that's how the Golem is described. Uh, you know, as kind of like a a snake in human form, right? I well, I'm not saying that he's one of those not, not things or something. I'm just saying like there are some connections. He has no bones. I think he's described it as moving like a snake, but yeah. I don't think he looks. He looks just like I'm another person. I'm not saying he looks like a snake. I'm just saying that was how he was described at least twice in the book. Was snake like he moved snake like? Uh, he's boneless, kind of you know the way yeah. that he moves is yeah. you know kind of like a snake. And so I'm just saying, it, it, Matt got his uh, thing from these things that look if, like snakes. If and I may, so. though, I think what Ryan's referring to more is, is the Golam's reaction to the medallion. And well, the, the neither, fact, yeah, neither of them could be affected by the power. So there's something similar there. Well, and when is, when the Golam gets hit by the medallion, mm-hmm. oh, it, like burns him. Yeah, and the fact that it seemed genuinely surprised that it hadn't encountered something that could hurt it that way. Like I, I want to know. If Matt's medallion can hurt it, hurt him, what is it made of, and how can we get more of it to fight the golem? Because right now, <laughs> why don't you just go demand it, Elaine? Yeah. 
<laughs> but that's seriously, I mean, right now. You know now, that belongs to the tower. It's like, <laughs> shut up. Right now, it is the only, it is the most dangerous creature in this entire series right now. Yes, Because absolutely. if the power can't affect so maybe it at all. maybe Pot I would even. I would even think worse. Here's I mean, the thing. Yeah. You hit I'm going to go with Craig on this one, but go ahead. Well, here's the reason. Here, here's my only argument that could be very, probably very easily refuted. You hit Pot on Fane with Balefire, he's gone. Mm-hmm. You can't hit the Golem with Balefire. True. You can't, you cannot hurt this thing with anything with power, and in nothing <laughs> sword-wise it hurts him. He's literally an unkillable creature with the exception of the Fox Medallion. So until we figure out what that is, he is the most dangerous creature hmm. currently in the series. And there's six of them. Yeah. Potentially. Well, no, that's what it says. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Which, that whole scene was frustrating because Matt's basically telling all these Aes Sedai and, Windfinder, and the Windfinder or whatever, we got to get out of here. There's a golem on our tail. And they're like, what's a golem? I've never heard of it before. And they're basically discounting, like, Matt telling them, you are all about to die. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Very Aes Sedai-like. And, and they all say, Matt doesn't know what he's talking about. Even though he's proven time and time again, he's pretty competent. He is competently made. He is. <laughs> uh, okay, so anything else you want to talk about with the Golam? Or questions you want to bring up? It's My, my core question was just regarding specifically Matt's medallion and, and, and how that how came to connected. be. How it's connected. Because we know the Golem, the Golem were made to hunt Aes Sedai. Like that's their right. whole purpose. Um, so there's not a ton to go into on that, but it opens up a channel of interesting information to try and find out like, Okay, well, how do you make something that can't be affected by the power? Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so maybe he really should, and maybe he will in book eight, uh, give Elaine a chance to take a look at this medallion because uh, it kind of needs to happen. So. Yeah. And, well, and maybe he will because now they have their brand new fresh and you know friendship pact. All you know, they've all made up now after book three or whatever when. <laughs> you know matt holding old grudges about hey i saved right. you in book three no you didn't you knucklehead blah 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 and we're just gonna keep berating you because we're i said i and we're insufferable and and now you know brigitte finally Nani's, gets some uh, not know, insufferable she, because she's i said no she's just insufferable she's i said i because she's insufferable but i still like naive by the way but uh, you know brigitte finally gets him to admit hey by the way maybe you should stop being such snotty you know well, and, and Avienda as well was part of that. And yeah. Avienda. And actually, you know, show a little freaking gratitude. You have toe for... to this man. <laughs> That's right. Some people are into that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> you have Which, toe. We talked about it just before we got on air. Um, fun scene, Matt and Brigida. Oh, drinking. Drinking, yeah. drinking buddies. Drinking buddies. And the, uh, the Legolas and Gimli. Well, and the interesting effect that it had on Elaine when Brigida got drunk and Elaine's <laughs> right. like all tipsy and like, <laughs> like well, are you drunk? No. And then she realizes, crap, hey, what are you doing in drug? Yeah. Which uh, is... That's a fun and duo then she to turns, have. And then Brigida she, and Matt together. That's an interest. Like, those are two fun personalities to I would watch that together. buddy cop. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's oh. for sure. Yeah. Um, Nynaeve and Elaine did a couple of things in this that have, had, had turned me around a little bit on them because I, I was pretty much against them, you know, up until this point. But when Nynaeve finally gets past her, her block and when Elaine finally stands up to the true insufferables, which are the, the rank and file I said, I, it's suddenly all of a sudden they, they kind of turn around in terms of their perspective. And it's like, okay, I can get behind these two because I think the two of them and Andy Gwain, who I know you Mm -hmm. hate Kyle, they're kind of shaking things up. They're Mm -hmm. shaking up the status quo now. And I like it to an extent. We talked about this a little bit. They are shaking it up. They're shaking up the status quo, but we talked about how the further we read into this book, the more, we just hate the, the more Aes Sedai. Yeah, yeah, the more Sedai. unlikable Aes Sedai as an institution, as whatever you want to call them. They just become so... Insufferable. Insufferable yes, yeah. and awful. And as the Wonder Girls are shaking things up, they're also indoctrinating themselves into some of those exact like mannerisms and... Yes. You know ways of thinking that it's just like you say you're against what they're doing and that you're always complaining about how I said I this and I said I that but you're doing the exact same thing and it's just super frustrating because they do have moments like Ken's talking about where they turn around you're like oh yeah I can totally be on board with with Elaine right now because she's awesome and then you know three chapters later she turns right back into chin up nose in the air right you know what I mean 
And it makes me wonder how much of it is the characters themselves and how much of it is institutional. Mm -hmm. So you think about, again, a modern world parallel is uh, politics. I'm often thinking about politics, so sorry about that. But I think it's relevant here in that people will often say like, oh, here's this new, my new favorite politician. It's a congressman that we just voted in or, you know, something like that. And they'll say, this person is going to go to Washington, in our case. They're going to go to Washington and clean things up and they're going to fix it. And then they get there and after a few shoddy attempts at reform, they get sucked into the, for lack of a better world, or better word, the bubble of evil that is politics. And, uh, and they get broken down, and pretty soon, it, it doesn't take long, they become like every other politician out there. They you get know. chewed up by the machine. It's, it's a machine. It's yeah. A, yeah, it's an institutionalized thing. And so I wonder if it's not, um, it's not that they want so badly to be the same as all the other mm-hmm. Aes Sedai, but there's something about the structure and the organization of the Aes Sedai as as a uh, as a body as a culture that makes women into this into this type of person and i don't know i haven't thought about it yet that kind of just popped into my head but it's something that well, i'll be the, watching it's the out novice for. it's the novice and accepted apprenticeship program that they basically go through and brainwash into right. being this is how you become right. and that's where elaine and nynaeve and Egwene are a little bit different from most because they haven't spent as much much time in the tower and being basically brainwashed into it Um, and Nynaeve the most because she immediately stepped up to accepted and then all three of them have left the tower multiple times during that apprenticeship period so they haven't been able to be completely immersed in it but they're so desperate to be accepted as Aes Sedai and recognized which there was actually a pretty funny part in this book where Nynaeve was just saying like when am I going to get gray hairs so that people can just recognize me as Aes Sedai <laughs> yeah, they're good. so desperate to have everybody acknowledge that they're Aes Sedai that they're willing to be Aes Sedai in the negative sense yeah and kind of let go of some of that um, breaking up the status quo and it's when they're in those insufferable Aes Sedai moments that they're unlikable and it's when they break from that that mm-hmm. you turn around and go okay now I'm behind them again. Mm-hmm. speaking of Nynaeve's appearance uh, you just reminded me of something that grabbed my attention from this book uh, there's the discussion that or the internal monologue probably that Nynaeve has about um, oh this is why the women's circle never took me seriously and it was because she had been working with the power as the village wisdom and that slowed her aging process and so even though she was like 28 years old or whatever, uh, she looked like she was younger than mm-hmm. she really was. And I was wondering if that was Jordan doing a bit of uh, slick retconning or if if he had that planned from the very beginning. I would probably put it in the in the category of retconning. But, yeah. but having finished the series and then when you go back and reread The Eye of the World and you're like, wow that's a lot of foresight and forethought right it could very well have been from the very beginning because <laughs> the man was amazing as far as like i've never read anything including lord of the rings that has had as much foreshadowing and forethought right as this yeah. so it's an unimportant thing but it but, kind of popped yeah. into my head mm-hmm. while i was reading i have to say the the whole <clears throat> um this whole thing, the Wonder Girls perspective, I don't really care too much about on that, with the exception of the most exploration that is done with this is through the eyes of Egwene, in my opinion, as the new Armorland seat. Oh, and, and being too young for your station? Being too young for your station, deciding what uh, she is going to decide what it is to be an Aes Sedai for the next generations right. to come or whatever. And so as she discusses some different aspects of it, I think that's... That is going to be our best insight into what does it mean to be an Aes Sedai and what's that going to look like in the future because it is changing. Um, this it's a great schism in the tower has caused this problem and she is going to have to rewrite Aes Sedai lore. Right. Um, now that she's finally gotten people under her thumb a little bit and she's making her moves to become an Amerlin in more than just title. Right. Um yeah, I, that will be interesting to watch. I, I agree. That's that's where I'm thinking that 
I don't really care about what Nynaeve and Elaine think about being Aes Sedai. They're, they're out in the field running around doing mm-hmm. stuff. It's the one who's going to be able to affect the large amount of change. Um, each of them will have their place. Nynaeve has changed healing by figuring out stilling and things like that, but it'll be Egwene that really alters Aes Sedai. Okay. All right. Yeah. I will watch that with eager So they're all going to suck. Still. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so speaking of Wonder Girls, once again, uh, the last one to talk about would be Elaine. And I I just wanted to mention why, up to now, I have barely even had an opinion of Elaine. She's a lump of nothing that Rand loves for no reason. She's hot. She's hot. That's why Rand loves her. I think, yeah. Anyway, um... But in this book, I feel like I finally got, uh, personally, got a little bit more insight into her character. And I know, as I was thinking about it, like, it had been there all along, and I just didn't bother to see it. And now it was kind of, I was starting to see it a little bit better. And one of the things I really admire about Elaine is her, um, her determination and her ability to blend with whatever culture she's interacting with uh not to be subsumed by it but to understand it and try to adapt to it and so every time they go to a new city it's usually her and Nynaeve and I think Egwene was with them for a little while toward the beginning of the series but every time they go to a new place she observes and tries to understand the local culture and customs and adapt to those and so the example in this book is her and Avienda and she has a little more motivation here because she suspects that she and Avienda will have to share Rand at some point. Mm-hmm. But um, but there's still that idea where she says something along the lines of, uh, I never, like, she never intends to become Aiel, but she wants to understand and appreciate Avienda and she want, wants Avienda to appreciate her as mm-hmm. well. Right, and I, I really like that a lot, and it's something yeah. that that I, I have found valuable, I guess. I lived in France for a couple of years. I've vacationed there, and I've vacationed in Sweden, and you go to... Uh, anyway, you go to all, whatever country, mm-hmm. whatever different culture it is, and, um, and you understand that this is not my home, mm-hmm. and these people have a different, uh, different culture something that's not like uh, the way that I do things. And I'm not ever going to become like these people, but it is still valuable for me to uh, to adapt. Not to become mm-hmm. like them. I'll never be French, but I can understand the French culture and I can try my best to not, not do anything overly offensive. Right. Yeah, empath- empathize with their beliefs and their culture and their point point of view. Yeah, I guess. Uh, up, and up she does to where a, it's reasonable. She does a really good job of that, and she also does a really good job of mitigating difficult situations with Nynaeve and Avienda and all of that. Where she's also pretty self reflective, um, like especially in contrast to Nynaeve. Nynaeve's starting to get that way, but she's so stubborn that she kind of doesn't allow herself to sometimes, but she's slowly I think I think Nynaeve spending time with Elaine has been very good for Nynaeve yeah. because Elaine is even though it's reluctant, she's much quicker to admit fault. Right. Um and try to kind of smooth over any sort of negative situation. Um which is really interesting for her because she is a very prideful character um, and very entitled given she was raised a princess and, you know, that right. kind of stuff. Um, but it's very apparent and also a little bit frustrating with the whole situation with Matt and Avienda telling Elaine that she has toe towards Matt. She doesn't do it to apologize to Matt. She does it to make Avienda accept her more. Mm-hmm. So it's frustrating in that regard where it's like, well... You're not being a good person to be a good person. You're being a good person because you're told to be. Um, so I don't know. There's a little bit of give and take, but she, yeah. but ultimately she was willing to do it, which says that's step, a lot more. That's step one. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Why you start doing something isn't as important as mm-hmm. why you keep doing something. And as you right? get that so. inner dialogue with her, and she, you know, oh, Matt's so insufferable, and whatever, whatever. Um, 
but she always reins herself back in mm-hmm. and kind of you know swallows her pride a little bit and re-apologizes to Matt again several times. And then, as much as we love Matt, he just is like, oh, it's no big deal. And she's like, yes. So we've, <laughs> we've got like five more minutes, and I know, I know that we're going to get some comments. I can't believe you guys didn't talk about this or that or the other. The only thing that I do feel like, yeah, we should probably talk about it a little bit is Perrin we haven't talked about Perrin at all in these last two episodes. And so uh, I don't care, but I'm sure somebody else does. Anybody else want to talk about Perrin and his uh, non-banishment? His, yeah, it's, 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 he gets banished, but not banished. I, I didn't really get that's, it. That's it was it, a fake banishment yeah, so, was, people, so that he could go out on a mission for Rand, but I don't even remember what he does in this book. He goes, his mission now is to go uh, wrangle, the profit. wrangle profit. the profit. Yeah. But uh, up until then, I think the only time we really get him is on the way back from Dumai's Wells. Yeah, I, I don't remember the, him having a large presence here and, okay. and a whole lot to speak of there. Um, dealing with the profit will be something I that knew, I'm sure I will. knew we, I liked this book. We do yeah. get him in the first little bit of the book when they get back from Dumai's Wells. Is right. that what you're talking about? Yeah. Where he's like, Fail must have had a good reason for this or whatever. Cause she was oh, that's sitting right. next to Colavere. We didn't talk about how Colavere like you put herself the yeah. put herself on the sun throne and then Rand <laughs> did what we talked I mean this is this was a pretty heavy debate with uh Mangan whether or not he should have hung Mangan or not. Um maybe gave him out gave him Colibre, an out. <laughs> but he did the same thing with Colavere and he gave her an out he didn't hang her, and this is where it was frustrating because he did it because she's a woman, yeah. and you know he really liked Mangan, and Mangan was one of his friends or whatever, but he hung him anyways because that was justice and that was the law, and as much as he didn't really like Colavere, he can't bring himself to sentence a woman to death, so he gives her an out and says he's going to send her to the farm, and he strips her of land and title and all of that, and she ends up hanging herself anyways in her bedroom. But just kind of an interesting, you know, parallel there because we had a pretty big debate about that before. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a there, Ryan. I don't know if you followed it. I think I tried to tag you on it, but uh, people were pissed at you. Um, yeah, I think it was after the last discussion because you uh, were saying Rand should have been more merciful toward um, what was his name, Mangan, Mangan, and mm-hmm. um, and I I assumed and i tried to get this point across to people that i think this is what you had in mind not that mangan shouldn't have been punished Mm -hmm. but that rand could have come up with something else and so in this case that's what he does is that am i on the right track there yeah what you were saying yeah it's it's not that uh, i'm not not looking to avoid i don't want mangan to avoid the consequences of his actions and things like that it was entirely the idea that uh rand could have uh, could have found a more another way to mm-hmm. inflict the punishment. And I get it. No, I, I really do understand, especially in the early times when you set the laws, you obey the laws and I get why it happened. And I, I'm okay with it in that sense. Uh, but in the sense that I want in the way that I relate to Rand and the way that I connect with him, I want to see more mercy in him than he was showing there. Mm-hmm. In this case, I saw that the end result still ended up the same. And he has another name on his list of women that he has to, to you know live with every day but that's that's really my only thing is like i in a in a character like rand who is essentially the savior of this world uh, you know poised to be type thing i want to see some of the attributes that of goodness uh that you would want that i would want out of that character yeah and i didn't see that Mm -hmm. there and i did get to see it here a little bit see and 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 to that point i feel like the reason why he did that is still a problem because he did it because it's Colavere and she's a woman. Right. He didn't yeah. do it to be merciful. He did right. it to be merciful towards a woman. So, cause I'm totally 100% with Ryan on this. I'm not, and but that's fine. That's fine. And that's fine. I mean, we agree to disagree or whatever, but my thought on this would be something that I argued on the Reddit thread when people were blowing up as well is that stripping Colavere of her titles and lands and everything was far worse of a punishment in her eyes than just hanging her and having her be hung as the queen of 
Kyrian, right. the usurper or whatever. And she, you know, she even goes as far to dress herself up as queen and put basically a false crown on with the diamonds and stuff that she has in her hair. Um, that it said made a pretty good imitation of the, of the Laurel crown or not the Laurel crown. That's the Ileon, whatever this crown is. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was really interesting because yeah. we were, when we talk about Meng and, and Colavere, there would have been something much worse and more shameful in GE toe for Mangan as a punishment than to just hang him. That's, and I, and I get the argument for like, well, but we're showing it for the Kyrianin and all of that. No, stuff, no, no, no. I don't give, I don't give a crap about that. Hmm. Like you consider that before you set the punishment. Yeah, no. And I, and I with, I'm with you there as well. You know, once he sets the punishment, he should follow that. So then he should have hung Colaver. He should have hung Colaver. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, as yeah. Anyway, so I I understand mm-hmm. that there there are more. It's more nuanced than that. For sure, I get that, and that's why he should have been smarter when he set the law. But mm-hmm. once he set the law, he should have followed the law. Yeah. That's what and I that, was. Yeah. Saying. No, that makes sense. Anyway, so goodbye, Colaver. Basically, but, what that did was. It took us from talking about Perrin to very quickly talking about Rand again. It's because we hate Perrin. No, we don't hate Perrin. <laughs> but there was, I mean, there wasn't, like Ryan's and there wasn't a lot of Perrin in this book. But the first part of the book, the whole time he's stressing out about his wife, as comes to be a very annoying theme of Perrin. And uh, Fael apparently has, you know, played it so that she was getting information and she gives very valuable information to basically save her ass right. <laughs> in that moment because really she needed to come up with something or Rand had every reason to punish her just as much as, as Colaver. But what really bothers me about Perrin uh, in, in this is that why is he taking the Aes Sedai's side? So he's defending the Aes Sedai regardless of what Rand says. Um, and, he's, and he basically is coming to the point where he says, you know, he's going to stand in Rand's way if Rand decides to execute the Aes Sedai or do whatever he wants to do with them. Perrin is on team Aes Sedai in this instance. And for me, it makes no sense that he's taking that stand. Now, there was the whole idea of Rand, you know, banishing Perrin, and that's the argument that they came up with. Um, And it's implied that, you know, this was all by design that, that, Rand is wanting to banish Perrin so that he can go off and hunt the prophet. But before that, Perrin is taking the Aes Sedai's side. And I don't know why. Other than the fact that it's like, this causes drama, and it's kind of the same idea of Rand won't kill a woman because... The the way I read it, and I, I think the banishment was purely manufactured to get Perrin on his mission, but I think the the argument in the first six chapters was, was very real. I don't think it was parent was pro Aes Sedai. It was pro I'm not killing a woman and I'm not letting you do it either, Mm -hmm. which is this whole two rivers. You don't kill women thing again, which I think is, is, I don't know. It's a a stumbling block for lack of a better term in Mm -hmm. in terms of storytelling. It's like, okay, well, what is this thing? And it's kind of, kind of irritating, but I, Mm -hmm. I, I don't think it was necessarily parents saying, you know, you can't, kill the Aes Sedai or punish the Aes Sedai it's you can't kill them because they're women yeah. so it was he's pro-women again and stuff but mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway he's, he's so he's a suffragette he's a suffragette it's a, and Fael was just insufferable she was an insuffragette <laughs> well that's a that's a fun place to leave our discussion um, usually we you know we do final thoughts and predictions and all that stuff but I'm pretty sure we basically did that at the beginning of part one of this discussion so uh, so I think we can kind of skip that. Uh, I guess, are there any final points that anybody wants to bring up and can do that in 30 seconds or less? We didn't talk about responsible Matt. That was sad that we didn't get to talk about it because oh, here Matt, he is. He's, he's suddenly it, a defecto dad and he's you know responsible. He's actually concerned about the women and he's he's concerned about his, his men, you know, right. his, his band. So okay. one of them gets totally gutted and like lickety split by the golem and he and it troubles him. He actually So of the three guys, it's almost like uh, Matt is the most human. The yeah, the <laughs> yeah. most regular. Or, well, and the most willing to take on responsibility and and do so mm-hmm. yeah, uh, reasonably. Also Lan and Nynaeve actually got married. That's true. 
So did they say back, that? I said that. Yeah, I said we talked that about the we talked remade. about that a couple weeks ago. So there, yeah. Um. All right. Good, Ryan. You good? Yep. I'm good. All right. Uh. So thanks for listening, everybody. Enjoy your reading of book eight. Uh. And I'm I'm sure that I will. And uh, well, we are. I I should say we are getting into the point now where people say that the books start dragging and. Robert Jordan lost his way and all this stuff and blah blah blah. And Did this one feel to drag? Uh, not so no, far, not I'm... too bad. There were a couple of spots where I was like, "All right, come on, let's move Savannah. to the next." Yeah, more games. Yeah, Savannah. But uh, but for the most part, I was fine with it. And, I was I was into this book, and I'll, I'll keep an eye on it through book eight. But uh, so far, so good, and we'll see how the next few books go. But uh, thanks everybody for listening. Go to thelegendariumpodcast.com. Go to facebook.com/slash/thelegendarium. Go to thelegendarium.reddit.com all the places find us there engage with us in conversation and we will much enjoy uh, doing the same so I think uh, as usual the uh, the primary discussion place will be on reddit so find us there at our subreddit and, uh, and we'll chat with you there see you for book 8 everybody bye bye